What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their, their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. 
Tell a friend about the show. You can find the podcast on Spotify now as well. And I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there every first of the month. So uh, stay tuned for that June one coming at you soon. Those are available on Apple Music as well. And the links for all of those things are in the episode notes. Hope everybody is doing well out there. I'm recording this intro from New Orleans, Louisiana, sitting outside of Mojo Coffee Shop here and uh, enjoying a very hot and humid day. It feels like a sauna out here. It's my first time ever being in New Orleans and wrapping up the end of this high pulp tour here. We've got a few days to hang out here in New Orleans before the final show of the tour so i'm excited to uh explore the spot and go check out no pulp records here in new orleans which is owned by the the drummer of the jared Matson group that's high pulp has been touring with so i'm excited to uh connect with joe check out his shop and uh see what else is going on over here get some beignets and uh some of that that gumbo and what not hoping to get tattooed over at lucky dagger something to commemorate this uh this incredible trip which has uh just been this pretty eye-opening experience for me especially for someone who has been talking to artists that have been doing all of this touring over the years so to get a full five-week run and, and get a real taste of that for myself is uh put some things into context which is cool because in this episode episode 309 i'm talking with josh the front person and songwriter for black hippie who is based out of memphis tennessee on the show and we talk a bit about touring and what that that grind is is really about and i just had so much fun talking with this dude and really appreciated the spirit that he brought to the conversation and and what he brings to the music and i thought we touched on some some cool topics and covered a lot in the time we had out in boise when we were at the tree fort music festival a couple months back and this was the first podcast i recorded as a part of the tree fort 10 coverage and this one really kind of set the tone for me and and put me in good spirits and was one of my favorite conversations that i had out there this year and listening back and and putting this one together two months later was a a nice way to reflect on the chat black hippie is on tour now and like i said we talked touring a bit in the episode amongst other things like songwriting and representation can't thank josh enough for his authenticity and vulnerability on the mic during the chat and we are going to get into that momentarily. If you are local to the Portland, Oregon area, you can catch Black Hippie on June 12th over at the High Water Mark. And if you are looking for some free music going on in the Portland, Oregon area, you can go down to Produce Row Cafe every Thursday night. We got uh, live music going on over there. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. You can catch the Jeff Chilton trio there every first Thursday and uh, Sundays. Got DJs spinning vinyl from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. throughout May. And when we get into June, those will shift to brunch DJ sets from noon to 2. You can catch me DJing on June 19th over at North 45 from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. 
another great place to catch some DJs on the regular Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 and every Sunday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. over there. So I will be there on June 19th and then June 26th, the following weekend, I'll be DJing over at Mayfly in north portland stoked for that one so uh keep up with me come through for those and i'll hit you with another tour diary episode soon with my cousin bobby to recap what's been happening out here on the road with high pulp but uh black hippie in june links will be in the episode notes so check out those tour dates if you uh dig what you hear on this episode check out that new high pulp record pursuit of ends that is available everywhere on the streaming services and is now available on vinyl in stores and on their tours and we are going to get in to episode 309 of the podcast black hippie from memphis tennessee is on the show and we're going to uh kick off the episode with the title track from their album if you feel alone at parties let's do the damn thing Awesome. Well, stoked to talk to you. I uh, saw your set last night oh, at the yeah. Lennon building here at uh, day one of Tree Fort 10. And uh, yeah, cool to see the live show. It's uh, yeah. a lot of energy, which yeah. is super fun to watch. And it just seemed like everybody in the band kind of like carries that same mentality of just going all in for the show. Oh, it yeah. seems like very infectious amongst uh, you all. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, we always try to like 
go ham live. Like I kind of look at like recording music and live music as a whole different beast. Uh, I feel like my biggest fear is like someone listening to our record and then seeing our live show and being disappointed. So I feel like we always try to like go off as much as humanly possible whenever we play shows. Uh, and this is crazy because I was like our second straight show of that day. Yeah. And we were just like, I was like, nah, we are going to like, we still got to like turn up, you know, we'd all been up since like 5 a.m. So I'm always gotten people compliment our live shows and the energy because we all, we try to bring it as much as humanly possible. Uh, especially because, um, Tyrell's always energetic. And then my friend Joe's filling on, on guitar for this tour. And he is also Dude, Joe, super extra. It was so funny. We were both Bert and I yesterday taking photos and whatnot. Yeah. And Joe just like plays to the camera oh, yeah. and stuff. Dude, and it's so good. He's just, all, he's also one of the most insane musicians and producers I know. We went to we were both music majors together. He was he started my sophomore year, so he was kinda like my freshman. And one of the most talented, gifted kids I've ever met in my entire life. He also like runs sound. He's just like a jack of all trades. It's not an instrument he can't like murder at. Yeah. Um. So and he always rarely gets hired for guitar gigs because he's such a good bass player. So he was like so excited to be on this tour. So I feel like every night he's just like, like I think he said uh he was like yeah when I got that guitar from the uh, from the guy from Jay Wood he was like I just thought of that control verse where kids like I want to make sure you core friends even heard of you niggas like that. And he was like he was like I was thinking for that solo I was like I want to destroy this so hard I was like hell yeah dude love it yeah good kid he's just out there killing it in the Tims oh yeah just. oh man he's <laughs> from New York it. too man love it. Uh, he was he runs sound for this uh, country artist Ray Fulcher and he was opening for Luke Combs he was on tour we were on tour in October and he just texted me a picture he's like bro. I'm wearing Tim's running sound at Madison Square Garden. I was like, the New Yorker's dream, man. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so is it, uh, you know, a day like yesterday where you are kind of playing back-to-back sets, and I know that you've been on the road since 5 a.m. Is it hard for you to turn it on in those moments because you do want to give so much to the performance? Not not really. It was a little – it's something I've kind of figured out on our last tour because we've only – this is our third tour ever. So what we did was like um, – our first tour post-pandemic, well, I guess we're still in the pandemic, but, you know, post-lockdown was a six-week tour, kind of a trial by fire. Like, we'll figure out how to tour because this is going to be six straight weeks away from home. And I kind of, through that, kind of figured out how to pick my spots, like, on which show. Like, because I want to, like, my mentality is, like, even if there's one person that came to your show, they still came to your show to see a show. So you got to, like, murder every single day. So I kind of just came to the point of just figuring out how to perfectly space caffeine throughout the day. So I'm always, like, ready to go. So it's not too hard. I feel like the first two weeks of our six-week tour, it was hard. But after that, I kind of figured out what to do and how to, like, lose myself in the performance enough. Because you lose yourself in the performance, you don't realize, man, my knees fucking hurt. You know, you don't you don't realize any of that shit. So I feel like just losing yourself in the moment and just making sure you perfectly space caffeine, we've been able to, like, yeah. be able to play. And usually, like, we'll just be sitting around tired, and then, like, the band will be like, last song, and then suddenly all of us get this burst of adrenaline, like, oh, yeah, we're about to destroy this shit. Like... <laughs> Yeah, because I think from like the outside perspective, you tell somebody you're going on tour, they think it's like kind of all fun and games and yeah. not that it's uh, not to, great to be out on the road and doing the thing, but it's a it's a lot of long drives and yeah. it's really just like maybe that hour where you get to play yeah. music and the rest of it is setting up, loading in, loading yeah. out, making the drive, finding yeah. a couch to crash on. Yeah, I always tell people like tour, if you go into tour knowing it's going to absolutely suck, you'll have the time of your life. If you go into tour, if you go like the one tour I went in like overly optimistic was our first tour in 2019, and I did not have as much fun as I would have if I'd have just been like, "This is gonna fucking suck." And last year I was like, "This is gonna fucking suck." I had a time in my life, like we, like we got home and slept for like one night, and we were like, "All right, we're ready to go back on the road now." Like it gets like addicting, so like uh, it's but it does like absolutely 
suck in some ways, but it's still like so cool. Cause I always look at it like, what am I do? Go home. Like, if shit sucks, it sucks. But whatever. But it's like it's crazy. Cause you just, like I'm in Boise, Idaho right now. Never been here. This is crazy. I get to go all these places I've never been before and shit. It's like it's a wild experience. Yeah. Also cool. I would imagine when you actually get to spend a few days in the city. Cause yeah. a lot of it's just you're there for the couple hours before load in. Yeah. And then you're driving out the next morning or yeah. even that night. Um, well, take me back, Josh. Like, take me back to. Your your music beginnings before Black Hippie gets uh, gets going. What was uh, your entry point into music? Oh man, my entry point to music. Uh, uh, my parents were very had a very eclectic music taste, so I was listening to like so many wide ranges of music growing up. And roughly around the time I was like eleven, I had this oh, we had this old Casio keyboard with a little tiny LED screen where they show like if you play a song one of the pre-programmed songs they like show what you're playing and I taught myself how to play a Beethoven sonata through just pausing it and playing it and memorizing it and I was doing that my parents were like well he's like this weird homeschool kid we should probably put him in something so they put me in piano because of that and then piano and then I started taking like classical piano lessons which is like my entry point into like playing music and I started getting to like bands like the Strokes and stuff towards and like like Sky Ferrari and like all these other people like toward the end of like and daughter uh toward the end of high school and then going to college I was a marketing major uh and then for semester uh and then I played an open mic I played piano for an open mic for one of my friends and then one of the guys from music major was like hey you play piano you should be in the music major because we need more keyboard players and shout out Matt Hammonds uh but I was like okay sure I'm easily swayed I don't know what I want to do with my life so I switched to being a music major and then I didn't really know what I was going to do with it uh, I was like, I guess I'll just like be a session musician or try to produce or whatever, um, which I may have done both, but they're not nearly as fun as my own music, obviously. But and then roughly about right before my junior year of college, I had one of my friends killed and then I lost my grandma and then I went through a breakup like all like basically cup like within like a month after each other, a month, a month and a month. And I didn't really know how to like deal with anything. So I just started like and it's around the time I was like 20. So I started playing guitar um so i just started just like writing and that kind of spawned like the first black hippie ep that no one really heard it's like a somewhere on a band camp somewhere it was like this weird lo-fi recording thing i did in my dorm room and that was kind of like the birth of like me writing stuff and then getting into like creating my own music and then my senior year i changed my name to saint john i did another record my junior year under vacant house which is somewhere on uh soundcloud good luck finding that um and then i went to st john did more acoustic based indie rock and then it kind of just spawned in 2017 after i graduated i went to toronto with my brother for like a week realized that like i didn't want to live a conventional life and wanted to do music like seriously so i came back to memphis played a bunch around open mics and stuff i mean, was able to book some shows and then started like forming a band of like friends i had in college and kind of went from there i guess yeah, so prior to, you know, having that that time period of, like, turmoil where you lose a friend, lose your grandma, you go through this breakup, had you done much writing in any form before not, that as far as lyrics or journaling or anything like that? Not really. So, like, the most writing I did, I tried to write lyrics occasionally when I, like, my freshman year of college. And then my first semester of my sophomore year, I took a songwriting class. It was, like, mandatory for my major. And I did not do well with that at all. Uh and I just didn't write really at all. So like my junior year, I knew I wasn't good at writing. So I started studying 
all the songs of all my favorite lyricists. And I like, st- like when I said like studied, like I studied Julian Casablanca's like lyricism, like every single album, every song, scoured the internet for what everything meant and then saw how he does. So like I came to the conclusion, like a lot of early stroke stuff, he always dances around topics very lazily without actually pinpointing it. And it takes a while for you to realize what he actually said. And he like speaks a lot of these like weird metaphors and weird things like that. And that's, and I kind of studied that and tried to model my, my writing style after that at the time, which is totally different now. But then I also would write five songs a day. I would finish classes or work or whatever. I would take my acoustic. I would sit in front of one of the abandoned buildings on campus and I would not leave until I wrote five songs. And I would do that every single day because I was like 20 writing. Like half the people that are at least playing this festival and like all, the, all these festivals and people I've been around and stuff like that were been bands in high school, started early. And I was like, I'm starting this at 20. So I have to like force myself to figure this out as quick as possible. So that's what I kind of did to lead there. Yeah, so like when you were just playing growing up and in high school and you're playing the keys and whatnot, yeah. it all just kind of felt like a hobby or, or something it, for yeah, fun. Yeah, it was just something I was like, I just it was like just playing recitals. It was just something that like my parents really dug and my mom was super supportive of. Because I also played basketball, which was more, it was kind of like those are my, my two things I like actually cared about. Uh, but piano was always kind of like, yeah, just a hobby. Like, and I didn't really think anything was going to really come of it. Uh, I'm glad I, because I tried to quit mold a few times. My, my mom won't let me. I'm very glad she didn't. Because, uh, yeah, all I ended up was, with, with was from basketball was bad knees. So, <laughs> I mean, there was no other backup plan for that. Uh, so I'm glad I stuck with it. But. Yeah. Do you use the piano and the keys now as a, yeah, a writing yeah. tool for what you do? Uh, sometimes. Like, I still, like, I play all the key parts and synth parts and stuff on the record. And having the classical understanding of music did really well in terms of, like, writing other parts for, like, other instruments and stuff like that. Uh, but I still use it sometimes to write with and, like, come up with chord progressions. Like, Groats Avenue was written on piano. Belong was written on piano. Um, and a few other songs. Like, I, I I I like to write on both now. I feel like for a while I just liked writing on guitar because, like, I was so good at piano. It was hard for me to, like, get my emotions out with the piano other than just playing. As opposed to, like, with guitar, I was, like, at the time I was, like, figuring out how to play guitar. So, like, I'm playing these chords. So I'm just, like... Okay, I only know four chords, so I can get all my emotion out, not through my technical ability, but through, like, my lyrics, as opposed to, like, uh, you know, with piano, I could just, like, just shred. And Rely then, on your technical yeah, skills. Exactly. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could... Uh that could be distracting to the the songwriting when yeah. you're trying to tap into it early. But did, you know, even though you were kind of just messing with those those four chords early on, mm-hmm. did the guitar feel pretty natural to you when you picked it up? Did it Not, make a lot of sense? No, it didn't make sense at all. I just kind of did a, the same trial by fire. To learn how to play guitar solos, I would just write songs that needed guitar solos live and then try to play them, pre-write them and play them live and would just fuck up and just sound like shit. There's so many videos I have of just me playing a solo like absolute dog shit and if i didn't do that i wouldn't have like gotten good and forced to get a guitar now i'm like i'm a fucking good guitar player like everybody's just like you're such a good guitar player i'm fucking shredding and shit like tapping and shit i'm like it just came from just like forcing myself to like figure it out because my my family was a very trial by fire kind of family like so me and my brother really only learned how to really function and like by being thrown in the deep end constantly. So if, if it's not that, I'm not going to learn how to do anything. So that's why I was that's why I was like, you know, instead of being like most people at home being like, all right, I'm working on my scales and then work my way up to the two being good. I'm like, well, I can't play solos. Well, I'm about to figure that shit out. And that's what has, has to happen. That's kind of what got me to where I am now, I guess. What uh, what about that approach do you think you, you kind of lean into as far as that, you know, that trial by fire and kind of maybe succeeding when you're being thrown into the yeah. deep end? Uh, I... 
it's kind of funny because like i feel like it's what i do with everything i'm just like i'll say yes and then figure it out later but it also makes it hard to actually uh make good decisions uh because when you're always like doing the crazy shit uh and then someone asks you if like gives you an opportunity to do something you have to figure out am i saying yes because this is a good idea or because i'm always just doing the crazy shit so it definitely has a weird effect on like making decisions <laughs> and i get confused constantly i'm like is this a good idea is this a bad idea or is am i just uncomfortable who knows but i, I kind of like like living in the in the a life of just like so much like uncertainty and like inconsistency like i thrive by not having a comfort zone like my comfort zone is not having a comfort zone yeah <laughs> i mean i think it, it makes it makes things more interesting when you don't know what's gonna happen every day oh yeah <laughs> especially you talking to like speaking to an unconventional lifestyle or what we were talking about even being out on the road that's yeah. like the exciting thing even though you you know that it might suck a lot yeah. of days <laughs> that uh there's the excitement of not yeah. really knowing what's gonna happen you're not just yeah. going to this nine to five and showing up to that but when you were playing those initial open mics, what was that like? Because I feel, I don't know what you were doing early on, but it sounds like you were obviously processing a lot. Yeah. Um, but my, my takeaway, I guess, from your tunes is like your, the vulnerability that you offer yeah. through the lyrics and the emotion that you express through the, the musical parts. So what was it like for you to be that vulnerable and be that revealing of yourself in front of people on the stage? It's kind of interesting because I feel like playing was up mice was kind of how I cut my teeth like I was constantly writing at the time because I was like right after I graduated college I was working a bunch of weird odd jobs that weren't consistent and I was broke so like I had a lot of time to myself so I was constantly writing so basically I would do is they would every there would be every Monday night and I would just write a new set of songs and whatever the best three songs I liked I would play that open mic so I would play different stuff every time a few times I want to get better at living lyrics so I would just come with chord progressions and then freestyle um so it's kind of helped me cut my teeth but it was like interesting being it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be to be vulnerable in front of people. Cause I feel like being vulnerable in front of people I know is harder for me than strangers. So being vulnerable to strangers is like uh, easy because I look at it more as a performance, performance art, which I still view now is like making sure I come off as very raw and vulnerable every single time. And like reopen those wounds every time we play. So everybody watching can get the most authentic experience possible. So it wasn't too hard to get into that, I guess. Yeah, man. Mission accomplished. Like that's <laughs> definitely, you know, take away a lot from the the recordings but to it was it was important for me to want to see your band play yesterday yeah. before i got the opportunity to talk with you mm -hmm. just because i did feel like there was so much being expressed through the records so to to get to see it in the live setting yeah. and get to see you not only you know deliver like a killer performance through the emotions that you're expressing but also like you were saying you you do shred as a guitar yeah. player i didn't <laughs> know what to like expect a live show and and the whole band just oh, absolutely yeah. absolutely killing but like did you find a lot of relief in what you were doing when you started expressing yourself that way with the guitar it's, and, it's, and it's, singing the tunes yeah. in front of people D i didn't at all i think it's more of a way for me to figure out how to process things and it's like healthier than like anything else but i don't find relief at all I always like i always tell people this and they always get weird when i say it but i knew music will never make me happy and not in a way that like i don't enjoy doing it i'd love doing this i would never want to not do this but i know it's never going to make me happy so like i don't find relief in like the writing about these things i feel like i write about it for so others can find relief and others don't feel alone with what they go through and they know that like oh man, if this guy got through it, I can also get through it or this guy stuck around so I should stick around, stuff like that. So it's more about like, so others have relief because me, I'm like, I don't get relief for any of this stuff. Like this is stuff I still deal with like every day right. and that's the like, crazy thing about it because like I don't, 
it's just like a normal part of my life and I'm okay with it. But it doesn't bring relief, but it does, I guess it assigns a reason for why a bunch of bad stuff happens. You know what I mean? Like everyone, I think bad shit happens to you and I've had a fair share of really bad shit happen to me in my life. I feel like you always try to point, grab a reason as to why something happened to you. And I feel like music gives it a reason, even though it's not a realistic reason. It makes it seem like for the greater good, it's good that I went through these things so I can talk about it so other people have somebody, something when they go through stuff like that, I guess, yeah. Yeah, and I would imagine you still get something out of the process oh, of yeah. being able to examine these things after mm-hmm. you've kind of put them on paper and maybe see them a little differently. Oh, definitely. I feel like I there's a lot of things I... And I was watching. I was watching that Kid Cudi documentary when it came out on Amazon Prime. Like a kid named Scott, and he was talking about when he was writing. He was like writing a lot from subconscious, and like didn't really realize that he hadn't processed certain things until he was writing about it. And I feel like that's me constantly. I'm like writing about something. I look back at the lyrics a couple years later. I'm like, Good Lord, I had no idea I was dealing with that right there. Like, fuck, dude, that's really fucked up. Like, how did I not realize this is happening? You know what I mean? So I feel like it's really. I do like that part about writing because I'll finish a song and then I'll look at it and be like, Oh maybe I should call that person and talk to them. Mm. Cause clearly me, I got it. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I, I like it. It, it helps, but it's still, still a strange thing. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've just always found that writing is like a cool way to document things though, to get the opportunity to like, see those things even like a couple years later yeah. and see where you were at. Yeah. And then also to see how like that thing you wrote that yeah. has changed meaning to you oh, over definitely, time. Definitely. And like, you almost become like, prophetic in some yeah. ways to your own life yeah. <laughs> at times man i figured the weirdest i wrote this song uh when i was in college it was called saint john and the premise of this song was like this dude runs to this this like old battered like he's a shit person or whatever and then like they interact or whatever and then at the end of it basically figures out that that he was that person all along that was him from the future basically and the whole premise was like he didn't know he was the person like the premise like the, the protagonist didn't know he was like slowly declining and becoming a decrepit person and like and he just slowly molded into the thing he hates the most and i feel like i unintentionally spoke that into existence because then like the years following a few years after following that i became the saint john or whatever in that song <laughs> and it was kind of weirdly prophetic because i like looked up a couple of years later after some years of just treating my body like shit and not really having a a, a one to exist and using the, using a lot of like drinking a shit ton of stuff i kind of looked up and i was like oh man i totally spoke that into existence so that does something <laughs> which is cool you know it's kind of funny I, mean, I should write happy songs maybe that'll i'll speak that into existence i feel like you uh, <laughs> touch touch on some of that and that that art school track is like one oh, of my yeah. favorites um i that song is so dope i love that song because i just it, it just is the epitome of everything i hated about being an arts major I just hate, I hated so many people in this. Art. I just, uh, God, <laughs> and, and, like that song was written just pure out of anger. Like there's like that song was I was just like mad. I was like, bro, I'm like I, because I had gone back to school for like half a second in like 2019, and then I dropped out in like February 2020. But I just remember like being back in like I was a composition music composition major, and I was just sitting in those classes, and I was like all around all these people. I was like, you all are just so pretentious. I don't like any of you. And then they just spawned art school because I was like these guys I, hate <laughs> I feel like i'm trying to be a very genuine down-to-earth person and it's really hard to like do that when you're like go to liberal arts school and like an arts major because like you're around so many people that are just so overly pretentious and i'm a very perspective driven person and i realize that like what i do is really cool to a lot of people but it's also very niche so it's not like like I can tell people I'm playing tree for it and they're like, that's super dope. I know all those bands. Or I can also say it to a random person on the street and they're like, what's that? Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, for so sure. like, I don't think anything I do is like, 
abnormally special. So, which is like, totally okay. I still love it and will do it. Like, but I feel like because I keep that perspective, it keeps me from being a pretentious person. And art school is about all those pretentious people that like don't have a lot of perspective sometimes. It's like, oh, I can't stand you. No, I think you, uh, <laughs> you nailed it with that one for sure. <laughs> You know, speaking to the lyrics a little bit more, is it, I know you said being in front of strangers mm -hmm. is like not really a thing, but what was it like for you when you, you know, you put out like this, this record and your friends and family hear things, um, is that any more scary to you to open up in that way or for them to like l maybe learn some things about your, your psyche or what you're going through? I, I think like it was, um, it was easier than I thought it would be because I've, I've, I've reconciled a lot more and more with my parents and been more open with my like, mental health stuff but my amazing girlfriend slash manager Vivian told me before the we started writing for this record she was like you should write more honestly and who cares what people think basically so I kind of like went into it with that mentality and it, so it wasn't that weird but it was funny because like uh, I work at Sun Studios so like uh, my friend's the engineer there, so we like played the record that right right when it came out for like some of my like close friends and like a family. And my mom's favorite song ended up being like July fifth. Oh, I was gonna bring is, that one up, which is man. crazy because I was like, I was like, how is this your favorite song? And I was like, this is like I believe they say the longer I'm alive, the less I want to like. But it wasn't it wasn't too too bad. I thought it, I think I like kind of numbed myself to it so I could deal with the possible negative backlash, but there was none, so that's cool love that <laughs> yeah man that's that's another one of my favorite tunes off the record and yeah definitely one that spoke loudly as, as especially like as someone that you know deals with their own mental health struggles at times i think there's uh there's always just something i admire about someone revealing themselves in in that sort of way you know it just feels like the most authentic and yeah. honest presentation that you can give at times yeah, I I love that song to death. That's like my favorite lyrics on the record because the whole song came from uh, the line, "The longer I'm alive, the less I want to be." I run like my dad's a pastor, so I run sound at his church, and I like came back from running sound. And I sat in my bed and I was just, like wrote in my in my Apple Notes, uh, "The longer I'm alive, the less I want to be." And then I wrote, and then I just sat there and like wrote a whole song around it. And the funny thing is, is like the song is like low key a very niche reference to a song no one ever heard. So it's only a niche reference to me. So I wrote this song called Three. I wrote this song in 2016. And there's three verses in the song. And it's about like, uh, the song's about, I don't remember what the song's about. Um, oh, the song about is was about like my, at the time in 2016, I guess like my fear of like commitment in a way of being trapped in like a relationship and like having a family and stuff. So it's like kind of like my ideas on that or whatever. But I followed the three-step thing and that's kind of like what the song kind of references a little bit with like the three verses. And it also kind of documents this uh, time I went to a, like a mental hospital. I've been like 
three times, but I'd gone recently, like at the time recently, and I was just trying to get like diagnosed uh, for whatever was probably wrong with me. And I remember like being there for only like a couple hours, and it was probably one of the like worst experiences of my life because it wasn't like a it was a free place so you can imagine what a free mental hospital is like like no offense to like anything i'm just saying like it was a very not great moment for me and that's what also a lot of the songs about was like i was there because i wanted to see like it see if i could get diagnosed with like bipolar disorder or whatever um which i got misdiagnosed which is another thing but i remember like being in this room with this uh this guy that's like absolutely like losing his shit and then there's this like we're in this room it's like three of us and there's like these like couches and we're waiting to be seen and then there's this glass of people and you can hear what the people behind the glass are saying and it's just like this dude's like losing his shit and they're just making fun of every all of us in this room you can hear them make fun of us and i was sitting there and this guy's looking at me like you see that man out the window he's following me and i'm just like sitting there and i sat there for like three hours and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had trying to get help for like mental stuff. And that song is all about that too. <laughs> and it's just, uh, but on the funny note, there's one funny lyric in that song. It's cause I'm an idiot. There's, it's 325 or a quarter after three. A quarter after three is 315. I'm an idiot. <laughs> no one corrected me and everyone just made fun of me after this album was done. And I just think that's, that's, that's terrible <laughs> but also maybe one of those beautiful like imperfect uh, yeah. mistakes <laughs> yeah. one of those, uh, I think like, like little Yachty was the one that said uh, uh, like blows me like a cello and someone's like does he not know that a cello he was like oh I thought it was a clarinet why did no one correct me <laughs> that's how I feel about the 325 quarter after three line <laughs> I was like why do you correct me I thought it was clever man it's now 325 Gives me a headache and I can hardly see. It seems that nothing's changed with the date on the receipt. It's worth the price of admission for a front row seat. I wanna watch the movie where my friends aren't dead and where you understand everything I thought I said. Instead, you're the disappointment I thought I'd always be. Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter, 
with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. Did you uh did you pick up a lot of like technical ch- chops as far as like learning how to run sound and things like that growing oh, up around the church? Is that where yes. you kind of got that exposure? Yeah, so I started running sound at my dad's church when I was probably like 11 or 12 roughly or something like that. I did not know what I was doing. Um like I come from like a family of like graph design video people. Um so I was just they were just like, "Well, you're not as good as a, a like a camera person as your brother, so boom, you're on sound. So I just like stared at the soundboard, had to figure out what to do, had to teach myself what gain was. Uh, I was totally wrong what gain was, by the way. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think, I thought I knew I didn't. Um, so I still, was, I still think I know what it is, but I, I don't really know. <laughs> so like, and then like going to school uh, for music, like I learned there, and that was one of like my little side jobs in college was like running sound for student events and stuff. Uh, so I picked up that, but like, it was so funny after the first year in college, I came back to running the sound at my dad's church for the summer. And I was like, yo, I know what I'm doing. It's over for (laughs) y'all. Yeah. And it's still like a fun thing. I realized I hate running sound just period. Uh, it's not a fun thing for me. I'm pretty good at it, but I just, I, I don't, I'm not a fun person. Like there's this one time my mom, I was running sound for like some big, like church convocation, like all of our sister churches or whatever. Mom just says, Josh. Like, we can see where you're running sound from. Can you please stop saying the F word? Every time something bad happens, I'm like, I'm sorry. It's like, it's I have it. Because it's like, it's just like this congregation full of people. And I'm like, for some reason, I was on the side instead of the back. So I'm like on the side. And you see me say, fuck, man. And it, it, like, so anybody looking over, it's like, this is really cool. Why is Pastor Shaw's son saying the F word every 40 seconds? It's like, there's feedback somewhere. Yeah. So I realized I don't really like running sound. Dude, honestly, it just <laughs> seems like a nightmare most of the time oh, like yeah. watching the yeah. sound engineers run around and i have so much respect especially for the, like the folks who are doing that like at a festival like yeah. tree fort and to, yeah. for them to you know have to do it all day with different bands yeah. and dealing with different stage plots and they're probably yeah. being hit with like all of these v- variables that they weren't expecting yeah. like the band getting there and be like hey we added a synth player yeah. that we didn't know yeah. about and they have three racks yeah <laughs> yeah i i i have the most respect for them i remember one of my favorite sound experiences ever i was running sound for this like little music event and i was so cocky for no reason and i just remember whispering to my friends like bro this sounds so good and it's like as i said the word good both mics started feeding back e- extremely like it was bad it was just like whoosh. i was like oh god and i was like yo this is so good and i even went to shit now it's when i was real it's like i don't think i like this at all uh this isn't fun for me <laughs> is that uh lended itself though to you as far as being able to demo things out or oh, I, don't, definitely. I don't know are you self-recording a lot of the the uh, music that's been put out or heavily involved I, in, I, I usually, in the recording i feel like i do a lot of demoing at the house and stuff like that but i'm upgrading my recording rig again and trying to get back into like try to get back into like producing uh so i'm trying to i've been upgrading my rig to like actually start getting some like stuff done because i want to get back to like self-recording because that's one of my favorite things to do because i did like one saint john album like i've completely self-recorded in the back of my parents house and then but all of our like other recordings were done like like studios pretty much so i would definitely like to get back to like doing that because i do like the fact of like knowing how to produce and knowing how to record knowing how to track and knowing how to mic stuff is like super dope because then i'm like at any time i can just 
yeah. do it. You know? Cuts out the middleman like for all yeah. of those experiences. Like if you have an idea, you don't have to wait for somebody exactly. else to like facilitate that for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh as far as the producing, do you like to collaborate with other artists or like work on songwriting for other people's music or anything in that area i would like to i feel like over the years i've done a little like session work with friends like I, usually like i'm the only guy that everyone knows that plays piano sometimes so like i'll play piano on people's like tracks and stuff and then i'll i play guitar on one of my friends eps is supposed to be coming out and on the mouse from memphis and our drummer casey also drummed on it uh so i do like to occasionally but now that i'm starting to get back into it i'm trying to like build a list of people i want to collaborate with and do stuff with now because now that like whenever we get off tour there's like free time so I want to get back into like collabing with people and like doing stuff. Cause I haven't really produced since like that wasn't my own stuff since like 2017. So I've talked to a fair share of people from the Nashville area, of, yeah. you know, musicians over, especially over the last couple of years and mm. starting to gain some sense of like what that's like. I've never, I've never been yeah. to that, that area, but talk to me about what the, uh, what this scene in, in Memphis is like for, you know, this sad boy indie rock going well, on there. The scene's definitely interesting. I feel like over the years I've watched it kind of like change a little bit. When I got there, it was still, we still have like a great hardcore and like punk scene. And that's kind of like where I kind of slid in because that's where like the people I kind of knew were in. So I feel like the scene itself is just insane. There's so many good bands. Like everybody there has this like chip on their shoulder because we are like, we're better than like people in Nashville. Like we're all like, we have, we have the soul. We have like the... <laughs> Like, we have the grit. We have, like, the... So I feel like everybody kind of has that, like, ethos. I remember the first time I really experienced the Memphis music scene was when I was still in college because I wasn't in the scene, like, until I graduated. And I came back from, like... I went to school about an hour and 15-ish away from Memphis or hour and a half or whatever. And I remember, like, first time seeing, like, a band and being, like, oh, like, Memphis is, like, a whole different beast. Like, it completely changed me because that was the first time I was ever around just people that were just, like, all undeniably good, talented... And I was just like, oh, I have to like step up way harder. And that's how I kind of look at like, that's how I think why we, we perform so hard and we go so hard. Cause like Memphis, that's how Memphis is. Like you gotta, if you're gonna be doing something, be killing it. Because like sometimes it's not as accepting as the, of their own artists as much. So you have to work, I feel like twice as hard and carry twice as much with you. And since no one really pays attention to so many Memphis artists, the second you do leave Memphis, you have this chip on your shoulder to like prove to everybody that you're somebody. And I'm like, I keep that on me like the entire time to represent from where I come from and where I'm from and like show people that like, yo, there's so many good bands down here. You don't need to be in like one of these big markets or whatever to be good. I'm like, man, there's like, I could probably name five bands in Memphis right now that would kick half the bands playing most of these like major festivals. But if they had to play a show with them, they wouldn't be able to hang because we have to like, we have to be twice as good as everybody else just to get like kind of noticed. Like at South by, there were only I think three bands from Memphis. There was Don Lifted, who's the homie. Shout out Don Lifted. Don, it's great. Um, and then us, and then one other band. I don't think, like they're based in Memphis, but I don't think they've, I've never heard of them. And like I'm not not in like a arrogant way. I just haven't. And I'm kind of around the scene, so I was like maybe it's one of those bands that are like really big and they live in Memphis, but like you know they probably don't play locally. Yeah, I would imagine also in Memphis you don't get as many people moving there to kind of make it like you do yeah. in nashville or or like a major any exactly. major city yeah most of them won't be the people that are leaving to try to make it as opposed to yeah and does it uh does it feel groundbreaking to you what you're doing with the band and potentially like breaking stigmas about black people fronting indie rock bands or you know uh, definitely things in that genre of music i feel like my entire ethos is to show like kids like me that they can do this like if i didn't have like a kid cutty or like 
like that kid Cudi Grunge job and speed with him if I didn't have that I wouldn't be where I am right now because like there I didn't have anybody telling me that I could do this by looking the way I do and I feel like my entire goal is any any bit of like success that is pushed on me and any light is pushed on me I want to push it to all the other black fronted indie bands that also have to work speaking of having to work twice as hard to like prove to somebody that you're good because of the, how you look because you're always gonna be put in a box and be like oh well you must like or like people are always like oh man like i had someone asked me he's like oh you don't listen to rap music right and i'm like no like the i didn't start listening to any music till i was like in high school dude like i like rap is like constantly inspiring to me like i learned so much from that the guitar tones on kind of ways my baby dark Souls fantasy has shaped how i do guitar tones like of course but i feel like people always want to put you in this box and i i feel like I just want to like make it easier for the next band of guys that look like us. So I find that means I have to like work twice as hard, like take as many rejections, take as many like hard licks and stuff like that. I'll do that because you look at bands like, like I'm a huge buff on this. Like, uh, like one of my favorite bands is this black fronted shoegaze band from Detroit called Majesty Crush in the nineties. They, no one ever heard of them, but they were like so good. And I just think about like how hard they had to work just to be unknown. And I'm like, they made that so much easier for like TV on the radio who made it so much easier and like block party made it so much easier for bands like proper and Barty strange who are making it easier for me. You know, like we're all just like making it easier for the next generation. And I just hope that like I can do, I can do so much just to like, cause my, my goal is I just want a bunch of like house shows in the hood. That's all I want. That's all I really, is all <laughs> Hell I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it is interesting that, skin color gets associated with maybe you yeah. know enjoying a certain kind of music oh, yeah, you yeah. know and just this assumption it's like oh you you like rap music or you don't yeah. like rap music I, or I, you're into this yeah and- I, I love it because i think being in these indie circles i think people forget that i'm from memphis and I, I, it's just so funny because like they'll be talking to me and I just like, like I'm on the podcast and I know my mom's going to listen to it. So I, I haven't, I haven't used my insane frequent use of the N word, which I do. I'm just doing this for my mom. <laughs> and I just remember the first things I heard someone say about our audio tree performance was like, man, Josh said the N word like a lot. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm like, I'm from Memphis, man. I'm like, a, I do indie rock. I love that genre. I love emo. You don't use it. Yeah. But I was like, don't assume <laughs> that I'm just this like, oh boy, golly. I'm like, nah, man, I'm from Memphis, man. Like. I will fight anyone. Like, like I promise you. Like, we're. I don't know. It's just interesting. Like, even, even at this level, you still are just gonna be put in a box regardless. And I'm like, I, my goal is to be able to break that mold. Like, I watched this weird video my brother sent me, and it was about this interview that that Donald Glover had, where he said he was the child of Kanye. He said, basically, it was like he paved the way for me, basically, and I can go places he can't go. So I hope the next person after me can go the places I can't go. And I think about that in my mind. I'm like. I want to be able to, I also want to do way more than music. I feel like I'm more of an, I guess, artist than a musician. I just want to like do art in different mediums, obviously. But like, I like watched that and I just like thought about what it, I thought about what I was saying earlier about the whole like paving the way. And I just think that's so cool that like everybody thinks like that, even like the bigger people that aren't in my genre. And they're always shattering boxes and showing that they can, like you look at like Kanye broke into the fashion world and show people they could do the fashion thing. Childish Gambino not only like comedy writing, then broke into music and then did his own show and stuff like that and it acted. That's, that's like, breaking out of even bigger molds i'm like what can i do to like break out of even more molds so like a kid that maybe turns 16 in 10 years can like i want to be an artist and can look at like me and all these other like black artists that are making it be like i can literally do anything because i didn't grow up thinking i could do anything a lot of people that like me don't like people of color don't and especially in like anything that's not like stereotypical so if i can do a bunch of cool stuff i can show all these other kids that they can do literally anything and that's just my kind of goal and that's definitely ever present in my mind with everything i do yeah is that also 
you know is that why you think the representation is is so key oh definitely i i i I think it's like crucial because i just i think it's just so cool that like i'm seeing all these like black kids that are never been a diy show coming to our shows on our last tour and i had this one person that came to our dc show which is also the first show i've ever played where like i just saw so many dreads just like headbanging in the crowd and someone said this, this was the first time they ever went to a show, a show like like an indie rock show, and they got to see someone like them and how important that is. And people are always messaging me and talking to me about it. And it makes makes me so happy that like they get to see themselves in the music that they like. And I think it's really important. And that's like something I don't think a lot of people I think some people take for granted and some people don't. And I just think that's really cool that like we get to do that. Yeah. I think it's uh I think people underestimate like what that can do for the the mm. psyche when it's not their own experience. Exactly. You know? and it's, like, it's not my experience, but I feel like I've gotten to mm-hmm. talk with enough people where yeah. it, it, they voice how important it is. Or like, you know, I talk to a friend, you know, a black friend and they tell me how important it is yeah. to see like a black superhero. And yeah. like for, you know, yeah. across the board, it's, yeah. it's not just music. It's, yeah. it's art in general. And exactly. like just that, that representation mm-hmm. just seems to be, key and expanding things and like you're saying of you know giving people the real opportunity so it's uh you know it's everybody feeling like they can do anything yeah so um yeah man i just appreciate like i said the vulnerability that you expressed through the music and i think the the music is great oh yeah thank you so much that live performance yesterday was uh was very fucking cool man lots of lots of high energy there lots of fun to watch (laughs) and it just looks like y'all are having a blast on stage and like i said it's just fun to it's fun to watch people go all in on their performances when they mm-hmm. they have the opportunity to because it, it was a memorable thing you know oh, yeah. i think people walk away with uh remembering something like that mm-hmm. so um that smoke break interlude is is one of my favorite tracks uh, on the record too So that's that's the one i i produced in my bedroom because uh, i knew i wanted an interlude and i was based around an old uh uh, a voicemail I found of my late uh, uncle. Uh, he passed uh, about three years ago, and he was very, very supportive of me, my music. He was always calling me, leaving me messages about some some scheme of how to be like famous or like something, like not scheme, but something. He was like, "Hey, man, I, like the fact that he didn't think I do NPR was just like it's the funny voicemail. Oh, yeah. He's, he was so he bad. was a huge joke, like joking person. So I'm glad that like I could." put his legacy out there in a way that he would love because he would have loved to like people because everybody's like oh it's like i love it. it's so funny and so cute it's like he would have loved that like to be on that record to like, be on the record and like also in the capacity that showed him who he authentically was which is a funny dude who like really cared about people and he was always like always getting on me about like what i could do to like you know break out and like tell me these stories he's telling me this one story it was some rapper that like came up with this song and like it took 10 years for that song to blow up and like 10 years it blew up and it became a huge club hit and like everything he always told me that he told me that story probably at least 40 times since i graduated college but <laughs> so yeah that I, that song was rough that was that's how i cried every like i had to mix it too which was the worst <laughs> like uh i was just like crying i was like i had like a beer and i was just like i had to like i would work on it in like 10 minute increments i would like work on it for 10 minutes i would cry and then work on it. It sounds like super emo, but I was like, I want this voicemail on here, but mixing this song is slowly killing me.
That's one of my favorite tracks, and it's yeah. you know it's it's titled as an interlude, but yeah. I don't like really, it, it has the impact of any of the other tunes on the song, if yeah. not or on the record, if not more. Like I love that that you just have kind of this snippet or idea yeah. of a song like at the top, mm-hmm. and then leading into that yeah. that voicemail from your uncle and yeah. and uh, and just hearing that support in his yeah. voice and like oh, yeah. he's just like he's geeked up about it he's oh, just yeah. like josh you need to submit your thing to this <laughs> tiny desk oh, you, you need to know about this so I that just, your band oh. can get more exposure and whatnot and i think that yeah that is really cool to have especially family members yeah. around you that are supportive in that way because you yeah. have so many people that are like so what are you doing with your life and are yeah. you gonna get a, a real job one yeah. day <laughs> so, yeah that's all i also feel like convincing my parents that this was a good idea it was way harder than convincing anybody that my music is good. Because uh, my, my parents were not, like, huge fans. Uh, because, like, which totally makes sense. From a logical standpoint, if my kid walked up to me and said, hey, so I've been playing piano for 50 million years. I'm going to pick up an instrument I don't know. I'm going to sing, which I've never done before, and I'm going to write lyrics, which I've never done before. And I'm going to major in this, and then I'm basically just going to dedicate my entire life and be hella broke. Like that, that's not something someone would be like, oh, yeah. I want my kid to do that. So once I once I like convinced them that that this was a good idea, I was like, it's easy. Everything else is like super easy. <laughs> Would you say that your favorite creative space is more the live show aspect or writing and recording the music? Definitely writing and recording. That's like my favorite thing to do is because like every the way I write is I. I demo things multiple times in multiple different ways and pull the best parts of it and kind of put it together. So like, I love that aspect. I feel like performing is more of a performance art, which is something I also like doing, but like my favorite thing is like the recording aspect for sure. And I, like, I'll be doing that way longer than I think I'd, I'd be playing shows. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving me some of your time, Josh. It's oh, yeah, uh, so been a pleasure me. getting like acquainted with the uh, black hippie and seeing the live show and getting to, to talk to you today has been uh been great and i want to play the episode out with another one of my favorite tracks from the if you feel alone at parties record which is bunk beds hell yeah <laughs> love this track and uh got to see you guys play this one yesterday which was uh cool and uh the record is uh is available on all the stream s- streaming services so uh, i'll put the link in the episode notes so that people can uh keep up with Black Hippie, and we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show, which is, it's a program. So if we could get the Black Hippie, it's a program. You can deliver it however you want. We can uh, properly end this thing. It's a, it's a program. He nailed it, everybody. It That's uh, Josh from Black <laughs> Hippie. All those uh, links will be in the episode notes, and we are playing it out with bunk beds. And uh, that is the Jelly Jams, and we will catch you on the flip side tree fort boise memphis portland wherever you are listening from
you just want to give a big shout out to distro kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast can't say thank you enough to distro kid for their support of this thing and make sure you go into the episode notes and find that distro kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with distro kid making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you so make sure you take advantage of that and the link is also in uh, the link in my instagram bio on the link tree so you can find it there as well big thanks to distro kid stay up stay tuned